and welcome to episode 103 of Together a Brighton and Over Albion podcast. Uh, today, this is going to be a podcast kind of separated into two halves. Um, the first half of the podcast, uh, this is a long one, so strap in. We don't have another game until Sunday anyway, so there's plenty of great content here. Um, the the first kind of three quarters of the podcast um, is an interview with Stuart uh, over at Proud Seagulls. Uh, this is the you know the the time of year that the rainbow laces are coming out and fans are actually starting to be allowed to come back to the stadium in you know the biggest news of the year so far for for the Albion in terms of fans being allowed back in the stadiums um, and I thought it was a good time to to reach out and, and have a conversation about homophobia in football uh, the LGBTQ community in football um, you know and just find out about their their perspective uh in terms of you know everything that's going on at the proud seagulls how they were founded um you know what their what their kind of goals are what they do um and you know their perspective of the game um from from the community so what i did uh, is i sat down with stuart had a good old long chat about all sorts uh you know talking about the stands uh what what the albion do and don't do uh why paddy power are not as good as or uh, as lovely as they seem to be um and and really just a, a real good deep dive into into the realities of of a player coming out um and you know scenarios in which that would be a good thing uh, or possibly even a bad thing um for for everybody involved so settle down listen in uh, and, and enjoy the conversation um it's a good one it's a long one uh, and and hopefully you know you'll get something out of it so after the after the interview uh, we will be going on to the southampton review um and then we'll be wrapping up so enjoy i'm josh as always and uh, i am joined by stuart uh stuart matthews of the proud seagulls uh how's it going stuart all right, thank you. Very um, oh, good afternoon, I should say. Yeah, um, yeah. It's about five o'clock where you are, I think. Right? I believe. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've got me uh, me me Sunday roast cooking in the background. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Love it. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. Um, it's obviously a, a pretty pertinent time to come on with the rainbow laces and all of this stuff going on, and now we're actually getting fans back in the ground and kind of talks of social justice and, and things like this are coming back to the fore, uh, as they should have been some mm. time ago, really. Um, so first of all, do you want to just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, you know, when did you become a fan, local fan, exile, first game, anything like that, Stuart? Um, yes, right. Well, anyway, um, yeah, you know, um, Stuart Matthews, I'm the founder of Proud Seagulls. Um and I know we we we'll go on and and probably talk about that in a, in a bit. Um, football wise, I must admit, hands up, I was never a football fan. In fact, actually, when I was a in my mid teens, when I was still at school, I actually wanted to be a referee. Um, I shouldn't really uh, own up to that, really, knowing what the referees are getting nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thankless um, job. I feel. I feel. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't really get into football. I, 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 I when I left the army, I, I moved down to Brighton, um, and uh, in moving down, I ended up joining a well, what is now well, what is a national first aid charity, um, 
who provide the first aid cover at every football ground up and down the country. Um, and I can remember, I think, the f- well, the first games that I went to were at the Goldstone. So please don't ask me. I, I have no idea who the teams were, apart from <laughs> Brighton, obviously. Um, and I must admit, I, I've, I've said this ever since then. I, I, I've, I could never understand. On the, I was there for the last game at the Goldstone, and I could not understand why fans were, you know, ripping up the terraces, taking bits of turf, um, taking the clock. I can remember that going out because uh, <laughs> I used to stand. I used to be there was about three or four of us used to stand at the back of the north stand. Um, but I couldn't understand that. And and now, I, I must admit, having uh, been to uh, Falmer, been to the Amex, um, probably I think it was about a year and a half after they after they had their first game, um, I can understand. I can totally understand the need to take the grass, to take the, you know... Uh, that I now fully understand. Um, and in a sense, uh, I, I well, uh, after the Goldstone, I know, uh, you know, they went off to Gillingham. I didn't go to Gillingham at all. Um, and it wasn't until they then came back to, with Dean, of all places, um, where it, it, I used to sit on the touchline some of the time, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. Um and I just thought for the fans that were there, especially those that were sat out in the exposed st- stands wearing their ponchos uh, that the club had kindly, uh, if you like, left on the seats when it was howling down with rain. I thought that took true determination. That was, to me, if you went there in, in the bad weather, you were a that, was a, that was being a true fan. Um, yeah, it was it was thankless for the away fans too, wasn't it? Uh, well, yeah, I mean... <laughs> they were so far away. Oh, God, I know. And, <laughs> and that was the whole thing. You know, you were sat up... Well, no matter where you were, you were you were, um, you were were miles away from the, the action. It was <laughs> it was almost better watching it on TV, you know, watching the highlights. Um, um, but then um, I, I did... I, I, after uh, with Dean, um, the club moved, obviously to the Amex at, at long last. Um, and I must admit, I'm I'm pleased that, you know, after many, many years of campaigning and pushing and pushing and pushing, they finally got, the club finally got what they deserved. As in with the Goldstone, uh, sorry, with the Amex. Um, and also, you know, latterly with um, the training ground, um and everything else that's associated with it um my i went to one game a friend of mine had a, a, a had season tickets and and i asked if i could just go to one game just to see what it was like um you know with the, a new stadium you know um and i was awestruck i speechless i think is is the word i i thought it was an amazing amazing atmosphere uh, brilliant facilities and then after that uh, my godson asked if he wanted to you know could he go and so I would take him we'd normally sit in the south stand I think then it was normally the south west corner um, 
and then a business partner of mine wanted to uh, suggested you know his son wouldn't mind going so in the end there was myself with two two boys two teenagers um regularly going to saturday home games and it just went on from there it ended up where we actually got season tickets because it worked out cheaper you know in the long run um, yeah and we've been going ever since yeah it's funny isn't it i think i've said on a couple of podcasts before that we've almost lost a generation of fans with the with yes. the scene and and it's so nice to see so many coming back and it's so easy to come back with such a beautiful stadium and oh, well you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah and now but, premier league uh, football as well obviously. yeah i mean i and also i think it was also Gillingham, the exile years in Gillingham. I think yes. that, that played a huge part. And any fan that, that went to Gillingham, I have the utmost respect for because, you know, to do that, what, hour, hour and a half journey, you know, there and back, um, you know, on a ground share is, you know, that's that's commitment. That to me is, yes, you, you are a, a supporter, a fan, you know, whatever you want, you know, but you are truly one of you know um because i think that you know that journey was just horrendous um especially to watch the football they were getting given you know uh, like, yes yeah. yeah i mean i was i was eight or nine years old at the time so i did i admittedly didn't go to pretty much any of them um i was too young but like yeah like the the commitment for these people to travel all the way up week in week yeah. out is just tremendous yeah um, no absolutely and now when you look at the amex the amount of young people that are watching football and when i say young certainly under 20 and i'd even go as far as say a lot that are under 18 and it's good to see it's good to see that you know i well until what would have been this season but um we've i've i've been in a family stand with my godson my mate's son another friend of mine his son as well um and my godson's father um if you like, in the last few years. Um, and and it's just amazing to see the amount of young people that are going to watch football and not necessarily when we weren't in the Premier, you know, this is well before the Premier League, you know, this is yeah. when we were still in the Championship. So I think that's really, really good. That's really, you know, it's encouraging as well. I like, um, because it means in a, in a, it, it means that we're we're carrying on the tradition, if you like. We're, we're you know, and, and children are, you know, they remember going to the games with their their mum or their dad. And, you know, I, you know, parent, you know, both sets of parents have been, um, you know, and they probably do the same when they grow up, get married, and you know, take their kids. So it's good to see. Yeah, it is. It's wonderful. Um, now, I have done uh, some research, but not a great deal. So <laughs> feel free to keep me honest on all of this stuff. Uh, but in in 2018, is it correct that it, that was the year? Uh, well, no, it was seven, well, 17. It was basically the year we went into the Premier League. Um, I'd Over the course of that summer, I had... I, I, for, for years, I've been saying there should be an LGBT fan group, uh, you know, with, with Brighton. Given right. the, you know, given the uh, where we are. Um, you know, it's quite geography. astounding, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and and I was able to start seeing, uh, or I say start seeing, um, when we were, when it looked almost a dead cert, 
um, that we were going, we were definitely going in the Premier League. Um, um, bearing in mind the season before, I would been up at Middlesbrough when we when we lost, and um, they were promoted and we weren't. And anyhow. Uh, I didn't pay for any drinks that night because the borough fans were lovely. They, they, the hospitality, <laughs> I, I must say. But anyhow, um, uh, so yeah, so as it was looking as though we were definitely going to be in the Premier League, you know, there was no doubt about it. Um, I started to get messages from LGBT groups uh, of clubs already in the Premier League, uh, and basically on about. Um, or I, I was seeing messages, sorry, it wasn't I was getting messages, I was seeing messages about, oh, it'd be great, you know, uh, Bright, you know, if Brighton come into the Premier League, you know, and then LGBT groups can get together, blah. And I suddenly thought, oh, no, there isn't an LGBT group. Um, so I made a few inquiries um, and uh, there was, I found there was a, an umbrella organisation called Pride in Football. And uh, most of their, the pride in football, most of their stuff was on Twitter. Um, and most of the LGBT fan groups were also on Twitter. That would seem to be the main uh, uh, social media okay. uh, outlet, um, mainly because uh, I think groups had found with Facebook they had been open to abuse, uh, I subsequently learned, um, and most of their groups were on Facebook, were, were, were private. Um, anyway, I was invited uh, uh, up to Manchester for uh, at the uh, football museum for Pride in Football's uh, AGM, and I met there, I met, well, most of the the Premier League LGBT supporters groups, that, um, and that just inspired me even more to say, right, okay, let's get this up and uh, you know, let's do this. Um, I did go that uh, social media has got a great, you know, there's loads of if you go onto Facebook, there are well, not zillions, but there are a load of Brighton and Hove Albion groups of some description uh, yes you know, yeah there are loads there, of them you're right yeah, there are. <laughs> um and i went into to most of the ones that i was i was in to basically say right i've had this idea you know what what do you guys think you know let me just put it out to the fans you know what 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 um and there was a huge backlash um it, there were lots that were all for it going yeah great idea brilliant you know, well done and go for it. Um, but equally, there were a lot that were like, well, no, 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 because we are together. It's, you know, it's all about being one. We are together. And it's like, it's it's very difficult to explain, but it was like, yes, we are together, but actually we do need a separate LGBT fan group and allies, if you like, you know, with, with sure. um, because there are, uh, uh there are times when you want uh you want somebody that has say an lgbt background to comment on uh homophobia it's no you know um I, and i don't 
want to disrespect any of the other fans, but it's no good saying to a, oh, I hate the word, I hate this word, normal, So, but a normal fan. But it, it, it's no good asking a normal fan, what do you think of the homophobic abuse that you receive when you go to home games or even to away? Well, sorry, if you go, when you go to away games or in some cases home games. Right. And they look at you and go, well, yeah, we don't like it, but you know, that's, that's banter, isn't it? You know, and that's, whereas an LGBT person would probably say, well, I don't go to away games because of that, or I don't sit near to the uh, away end at home, you know, the home, uh, the gold, uh, at the Amex, um, <laughs> you know, because I I, I, I hear too much, you know, uh, homophobic abuse and I find it off-putting. So there's, you know, it was that difference. And, and, and that really almost inspired me even more then to actually set up the group. Um, yeah, I have to admit that, you know, I was one of those normal fans because um, mm. I used to go to a lot of games when I was back in the UK. And and I would, you know, if anybody asked me about it, that was generally my answer. I don't particularly like it. I think mm. it's backwards and ridiculous, but it's it's not really, you know, it's no skin off my nose. It's whatever. Um, mm. And it's but it's so important to recognize that there are people out there that this is actually, you know, aimed at specifically. Um, and the effect on that is totally different. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I, it's long. I, it's been a long time coming. I'm glad that yeah. you've you've got this group together. You no, know, and, and and it's not some most of the other LGBT fan groups in in the Premier. Well, in across all the leagues, their primary purpose was to change the attitude of the club for diversity internally, to educate their stewards uh, around, well, racism and homophobia, yep. um, and, um, and also encourage the club or their clubs to um, encourage those from, uh, well, the BMAE background or, or LGBT communities to encourage them to come to football, you know, and that the things had changed over the years. I'm, I think at Brighton, we sit in a completely uh, different field. Uh, well, not only because we're at Falmer, but, <laughs> uh, but <we're>, <laughs> literally, but, yeah, literally, <laughs> but we are completely different. Yes. We, I wasn't going to the club and I haven't been going to the club saying we need to, you know, we need to look at our LGBT or our uh, diversity policy, or you, you need to look at your diversity policy there. Um, the club have gone uh, above and beyond that. They've gone, you know, um, and in a sense, I, I'd almost say they were, they were leaders in that. Now they knew of the problems when we go to away games and at home games as well of racist and homophobic abuse and I'm gonna and there is a reason why I, I want to encapsulate both because it it would seem as the years have gone on the uh, racism if you like has it hasn't petered out completely but it has diminished whereas we have seen a rise in homophobia um, and, and when I say homophobia that that's across the whole spectrum in, to include transphobia as well it's a whole right 
whole whole lot. Um, but we are very, very unique, I think, in Brighton. The club have always taken a very, very strong stance of um, racism or homophobic abuse uh, towards either our own fans or towards players or, you know. <clears throat> and I have to say they have been fair across the board, whether it be a Brighton fan who's being racist or homophobic or even an away fan who's being racist or home. They, in fact, I'd, I'd, I'd almost say if you're a Brighton fan and you want to be homophobic or racist and you've got a season ticket, you just as well throw it in the bin because you will never, ever be allowed back in the ground. And we've seen that uh, yep. to, to great effect. And and to me, I think that, you know, fair play to them. Um, yep. They're keeping everybody accountable. We've seen it a couple of times now where there has been abuse reported uh, at Brighton games away from home and, mm. and just games that have, you know, made the big, big TV, you know, Chelsea Spurs, stuff like that. And if you look into it, their, their clubs at some times feel like they are making an effort to protect their own and don't yep. punish their fans as heavily. No, no. The fact that we do is superb to me. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and um, again, it, it, this is what horrified me because I'm th- uh, when I went into these uh, social media groups to put that plan, you know, that sow that seed of this is what I, I was thinking of doing. The negative feedback I was I wasn't expecting as much as I got. Um. And there was one that I ended up, um, I forwarded it to uh, the police liaison officer who I've known for for donkey's years. Um, and he came back and he went, this is really, really borderline. He said, you know, it's, it's, he said, it depends which side of the fence you want to sit on. You know, you can read it and say, yes, it is. But then you can read it and go, well, no, it's not. Um and I was like, right, but it gave me the resolve to actually do it because I thought, if if our own fans are are you know, if you like, being homophobic, then all the other clubs are going to, you know, it's it's to me, it was like, well, we need to educate our own home fans as well as, um, and uh, and I think our well, I know our relationship with the club since we formed or certainly in these last what three years has has grown tremendously and I think that's probably like my next question right like <laughs> how how it how in the way you know it, it was formed in 2017 so mm. in what ways has it grown um and in what what things do you kind of see in the future for the Browse Eagles given that you have a slightly different roadmap to to the majority yeah. of these these groups it's it would be interesting to know what that kind of looks like for you yeah i mean it is completely different i mean it it mainly uh, what well, well, it has uh, proud seagulls is is basically social media based shall we say right um and i never ever intended or well i say yeah never really intended it to make it a, a like a paid membership um because um i thought you know i, I that there were Lots of the, I know that there are fans that go to the Amex who identify as LGBT, but not to their people that sit around them at the Amex. 
and out of respect for that, it that's why I, if um, my, the Facebook groups we've got, I think one one is secret and one's closed um, because I was hearing of stories from other clubs where um, they would put out, oh, we're going to meet up at such and such a place on on Saturday, you know, before the game, and they would get there and it would be infiltrated with with home you know that they're, they're saying fans but that those fans that weren't um lgbt orientated and were there really just to disrupt it and find out who these gays were um it's so strange respect, isn't it because it is it's, it's strange because it almost encapsulates exactly it's a it's almost a microcosm of everything that's going wrong with players not yeah. being able to come out yeah we're, we're having the same problems well, in the stands almost in terms of, yeah, you know, I mean, there are clearly gay. There are clearly gay players who play football, and they are not yes coming out either. And I've always said for a long time, in, in fact, almost from 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 day one, until there are policies and safety measures in place for a player to come out, and before anybody says, "Well, there are players," no, they are. Most of them have retired or they've you know, jump ship and gone to America or, um, or, you know, or they're, they're playing for non-league site. You know, they, they've, they've come out of football, if you like, completely and, and are playing like a, a Sunday league football. Um, but there is no, uh, policy. Well, there is a policy, but they, I think until a professional footballer feels that they will be safe, not only them, the, they're, their colleagues, the other players in the team, um, the the actual club itself and the fans are safe, and I and I feel strongly that this will. It, I'd like to say I, I would see it in my time, but I don't think we will. There's a lot of clubs and a lot of people need to learn from Justin Fashionu. I, I, I you know, every year. We we honour and celebrate his uh, um, well coming out, but but also we honour his his death and and for people who are who are less educated on the topic because oh. uh, I I know what you're talking about, but there are oh, a lot of listeners yes. that may not. <laughs> uh, do you want to <laughs> do you want right. to just kind uh, of explain short form? Yes, um, well, basically Justin Fashionu, who did actually play, although very briefly for Brighton and Hove Albion, was the very first. Well, the one and only professional footballer to come out as as gay. Um, he's, I think, if I remember rightly, the most of his time he spent with Norwich, um, and hence the reason why. If you look at Norwich, uh, certainly in lockdown when, when uh, last season, um, they did have a lot of uh, they did have one massive Norwich shirt with Justin Fashionu's name on it, um, but he he basically. Um, uh, the upshot of it was he was accused of uh, he'd been in America and he was accused of um, uh, 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 a crime uh, against a minor, which uh, a young person. Sorry, I shall <laughs> not a minor. But, <laughs> uh, uh, anyhow, um, um, when he came back to the UK, he you know this was hovering around, uh, and he ended up taking his own life. And nobody should ever do that, certainly around their own sexuality. Um, 
but also he felt that after he came out, he had to leave football. There was no, uh, he, he was made to feel when well, some places and areas very unwelcome. Um, and again, he took the brave step. And what I feel sorry for him for is the fact that not only did he come out as gay, but he was black. And I just think that it added more fuel to the fire, if you like, more uh, uh, controversy uh, uh, or, or, you know. Um, so I think since then, yes, we, we've grown up more. I know his family have been um, very, very supportive of LGBT initiatives that clubs are doing, like with now that in, in the last couple of weeks, uh, um, with you know, is the Rainbow Laces campaign, which is, although that's, uh, well, it's supported by the FA, but, but it comes from Stonewall, but it's around that. This is grassroots. It's around the fact of, of putting, trying to put some sort of normality. I hate the word, excuse me, I hate the word normal, but it's trying to put some sort of normality into the game and into the sexual, you know, into the sexuality. If you like. It's almost like saying it's normal. Um, and people don't care. I'll be honest with you. People, I, I, I had sat in a family stand for the last three seasons. Well, yeah, maybe longer. Um, four seasons. Uh, and the vast majority of people around there knew that I was gay or they at least surmised anyway, let's put it that way. But nobody batted an eyelid. In fact, last year, um, 10 of us, 10 of members of proud seagulls went pitch side to wave these huge flags at the, the rainbow laces game. Yep. Um, absolutely superb, brilliant evening. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't thank the club enough. They, they pulled out all the stops we went back. I was with my godson and his dad. We went back to our seats and everybody around it was like, well done, brilliant, superb. That was excellent. You know, so I think that's, as a society, we have, that most of us have moved on from that. Unfortunately, I don't think, um, and, and, and also to say at the moment, mainstream media and, there are some uh, other uh, uh, gambling uh, sites, if you like, or, or bookies, um, wanting a gay professional footballer. Um, they're desperate. They're desperate to out one. And, and <sighs> to be honest with you, if, if that was me, I'd stay in the closet because the backlash would be i think worse than actually is staying in the closet if you you know if you catch my drift it's it's yeah um, so to talk about the gambling companies because i did <laughs> want to bring up so like we've we in you know a couple of emails we chatted back and forth mm. and and i had a kind of list of questions and topics and one of them was a survey conducted by paddy power and the gay times yeah and one of the questions they had in there, uh, which you pretty much already answered really well, was that, you know, a third of fans say they believe that LGBTQ supporters weren't made to feel welcome. And obviously that's true for at least from what you've been saying here. Hmm. Um, and I guess the two things I have is 
Uh, first of all, you said you had some convers- some uh, you know thoughts and feelings on Paddy Power and and that kind of thing. Uh, and also, what do you what do you think you know those those fans and allies, so to speak, should be looking to do to help everybody kind of push that thirty three percent backwards? Because, well, or do you think there yeah, is anything they um, can do? No, I, I to be honest with you, I'd almost I'd almost say it's it's one. It should be at the clubs. Any club, any football club's door, really. It's it's laid at their door. I, I, I'm going to use some examples now. Um, two two years ago, yeah, two years ago, no, three years ago now. Sorry, because I've yeah. So so in 2017, yeah. Um, no, could have been 18. Oh, I'm getting my. Oh, I'm getting all my. Yeah, it was 2018. Brighton and Hove Albion were the first football club, the first Premier League football club in the uk to sponsor a or be a major sponsor of a pride event as in brighton pride yeah no other club had done it clubs had taken part in pride um for instance with london pride gay gooners but it was the lgbt groups it wasn't the actual football group or the football club themselves Brighton took the initiative. Um, myself and a couple of us were invited from from Proud Seagulls to participate on the uh, bus on the float, and we were then um, allowed to go in the park um, where uh, they had a huge stand, and they were giving away. Uh, well, we were giving away free pens, free wristbands. There was there was lots of things, lots of giveaways, and it created a huge interest. But also at Pride was a green double decker bus belonging to Paddy Power, who basically put up, "If you're a gay professional footballer, please get on the bus." You know, and 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 it ended up in the park a stone's throw away from where we were and we all hated it um, because again they were wanting a player to come out uh, they were going to yeah they wanted to force if you like a player to come out when they probably wouldn't have felt like it um, you know, I've always maintained coming out is a is a very very big thing to do. It's the hardest, one of the hardest decisions I think you're, you anybody will ever do in their life, um, and if they need to, I should say, perhaps if they need to. Um, and I think you know, if you like, get getting a, an outside source, you know, forcing you, I think is is bad. Um, and then last year we were invited back again. We were invited back with Brighton Hove, the club. Uh, again, they were sponsoring. Uh, they were one of the sponsors for Brighton Pride. Um, and we had more of the women's team on the bus this time. And we knew Paddy Powell were around. And I did say to them, I said, I don't understand why you don't, you know, if they brought the bus down, you want to go, you want to go on the, on the bus because it would just highlight how pathetic their advertising is because they've said a professional gay football, you know, a a professional gay footballer. Well, 
we have in, well, we did have, or we have in Brighton, we have ladies who are gay. The same with uh, all most of the other women's football teams up and down the country have LGBT members. Um, so they could have quite happily stood on that bus, but nobody would have batted an eyelid. It wouldn't have been a sensational story. And this is what they all want. They all want the sensational stories. Um, the other thing I want wanted to say in in relation to that survey um one i don't believe it because again it's paddy power uh, I, i'm not against gay times but it's it in a sense it came from paddy power um last or it may have been yeah was it last summer back in the summer uh uh kick it out release their their um data their their uh annual uh review and there have been a huge increase in uh, homophobic abuse, a, a load more transphobic abuse. Um, and I can remember being asked at the time, why, why was this? And most clubs, as well as kick it out, but most clubs, in fact, I'd almost say all Premier League clubs, have made it far easier for any fan, any supporter, anywhere to report homophobic or racist abuse uh, anonymously. That's why things have, you know, it, if you go back to two years ago, three years ago, you'll find the numbers are very, very low because those that were reporting it were too afraid to report it because they were having to give their name and details and you know, whereas now it, it can be done anonymously. And, you know, we've seen fans from, say, a home club reporting their own fans for being racist or homophobic. Um, and and that, to me, uh, I get, I, I take great joy from that because we've actually moved on. You know, we, 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 we've got to the stage now where, people are feeling more and more confident to report uh, abuse, whether they see it or hear it. Um, and we're never going to eradicate it. It's like racism. We're never going to eradicate it. But I think as long as it's at a manageable level, then I think, you know, things will be better. Um, and it's funny because I, I spoke with Amy Merricks, the, the assistant manager of the, the women's team. Mm. And, and I asked her this question um, and I'd be interested to hear your take on it because on paper it should be no different. But mm -hmm. there's obviously such a great chasm between the acceptance <coughs> of women's and men's football. Um, you know, there are plenty of LGBT women. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Megan Rapino is probably, you know, one of the most well-known women's footballers yeah. there is. And, and she is a very proud gay woman. Um, you know, why, why do you think there is such a difference? And I've seen, uh, I've seen a, a, a buzzword said a couple of times and uh, toxic masculinity um, <laughs> said a few times in the way that, you know, that's, that could be a reason why, but what do you, what do you think is the, is the, no, I, I, I think it's to be honest with you, I, I think we need to go back in history. It's part of our DNA. If you, if you go back through time, if we go back to the 1800s and even before then, um, 
specifically for being a lesbian was not was not against the law it, it wasn't seen as being it, yes it was immoral but it wasn't as long as you were doing it behind closed doors you know people turned a blind eye to it but if you were gay totally different um now i've always looked at it that up until i know uh, i could be wrong here but up until about the 40s 50s maybe early 60s there were no women in parliament it was all men and that's where it stems from this is where the age of consent always stems from the fact that the men in parliament the males were scared they were like, oh, no, we can't lower the age of consent. Oh, no, 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 because all these nasty things will happen. And Well, they haven't. We, we've lowered the age of consent. I mean, that's been done now for, what, 20, 20-odd 20 years, if not more? And there are no more nasty things happening than, than happened before. But socially, I think it's always been acceptable. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't say acceptable. It's been tolerated that there are women you know there are lesbians and and that's fine that's okay seeing two women together um doesn't really create a problem seeing two women dance together never used to create a problem i mean it happened well certainly back in the war days when you know men were few and far between that women would dance with each other it didn't mean to say they were having a sexual relationship but they danced with each other and i think we've just got accustomed to that's fine. That's okay. That's that's the norm. But for men, oh no, definitely not. No, no, we've got to you know safeguard it. And I think this is where um, I think what what might, might change is if we ever had uh, a prime minister that identified as LGBT. That to me would change the whole ball game. <laughs> to use a pun. Um, <laughs> But but to me that would it would change the whole ball game, because then you have the well within politics the most senior person within politics, whether they be male or female or even trans makes no you know they are the leader of the country and and you know I think that's the the be all and end all and that's why there is a huge difference between women's football and men's football. A lot of people look at women's football. I enjoy women's football because to me, that's what men should be doing. You know, they get tackled, they get up, women get up, brush it off and carry on. Uh, whereas like some of the prima donnas we've got in, in football, you know, they go down and they're doing so arty. It's, you almost feel like, you know, they should be on Strictly Come, you know, tackling or something, you know, Strictly Come <laughs> dancing, you know, to get a score. But, and I think, again, that's the other thing. That That's the other difference is the fact that, you go to women's games having watched you know um women play it's it's a more gentle well, no it's not more gentle um but it is it's completely different they're there to play football they want to play football and they don't want to waste time by you know rolling around on the floor for half an hour just you know because somebody trod on their little toe or something um whereas i I think with men, it's more of a, again, it's a, it may be a bit of a bravado thing, a bit of, you know, oh, I've got to look as though I'm I'm uh, uh, macho. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go completely off 
here, but uh, was it? La- I think it was last weekend. Was there not a head clash between two players? Yes, Raúl Jiménez and uh, uh, yeah. David Luiz. Right, Terrible. I've got a huge problem. I've got a huge problem with David Luiz. Why did he? Why was he allowed to carry on? Now Arsenal keep. I think it was Arsenal, wasn't it? Yeah, please correct me because I. I'm, yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Arsenal said, "Oh, it was fine. He he he, you know, crossed all the protocols. You know, we, we you know, well, no. If you've had the other player go stretch it off and sent to hospital, then that the other player who may not be come off badly should be sent off. The referee, as far as I'm concerned, should have sent him off and said, no, you're not playing. Off you go. You'll have a sub. You know, let's have a sub. Um, that, to me, just just speaks all about it, really. it's If that had happened in a women's game, I can tell you now, both women would have been off the pitch. They wouldn't have carried on playing. And I, th- I I could not agree more. I think I actually talked about it last week and, uh, and it's actually been doing the rounds as well. Yeah. I know that the media are finally getting a hold of it, but over here in the US, uh, the NFL are, have been getting a lot of stick. So the, you know, the American Football League has been getting a lot of stick for their concussion protocols in the past couple of years and they have yeah. been hammered for it and they've got a lot better. And it is, it is startling to watch someone like David Luiz come back on with a bandage yeah. on his head bleeding like it's still the 50s and just playing when he is clearly not okay you don't hit the ground from that kind of impact and not have some kind of concussion like it's just not absolutely i i i mean i was just astounded that the you know and, and and what astounded me even more was the fact that arsenal were claiming well we we followed all the protocols you know there was nothing wrong you know we, we and you then think right okay if we then put that into, say, an LGBT context, you know, are we going to have a player going on a pitch that's come out as, you know, identifying as LGBT and get hurled abuse? Um, and if you like wanting to come off, but they're then going to go, well, no, because he's ticked all the boxes. You know, he's, he's cleared the protocols. You know, the, the, uh, this to me was, I mean, I think last weekend I thought was a, an absolute disaster. It's like, I'm not going to get on the subject because that this will. Uh, I mean, it'll be tomorrow morning by the time we get off. Because <laughs> that's VAR. I, I the only thing I I can I, I want to say about VAR consistency. There is no consistency, and there has to be because it's making the game look pathetic at times, and I think. Um, uh, Jurgen Klopp uh, last weekend, uh, uh, the other weekend when we held them to a one-all, fantastic, brilliant one-all draw. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he was so. right. I mean, I know he had. I know he took issue with uh, 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 BBC, uh, sorry, BT Sport, um, over the fact that they changed the time to half twelve. Uh, but and I know he took great issue with that. But he also had an issue with VAR. Um, Yes, it went against him and he was like, well, yeah, nothing, you know, can't say anything. Well, no, you can't say anything because the FA will quite happily, you know, pull up the barriers and and, and anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, um, no, you're right. Protect their own kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I've really lost on what we were 
really talk well, let's, about uh, that. Let's hop on to the next one then. So mm. there's this month, the Albion and many Premier League teams, or all of them, I believe, yeah. donning the rainbow laces. Mm. Uh, honestly, some really cool-looking rainbow numbers on the women's shirts were on social media the other day. Uh, I was a big fan of them. Um, so as a fan, member of the community, do you do you think this has kind of real and beneficial effects at grassroots level? Or do you... Uh, believe this is more of a way of the Premier League and and you know the the big wigs kind of trying to change the face of football from a corporate standpoint to kind of say yeah. almost like you were just saying right now we're following the protocols we're we're doing yeah. we're, we're putting a good face on it we're having people wear rainbow laces look at us do a good job or do yeah. you think it's actually you know having a reverberation effect no I think it is I I I, I don't look at it as a corporate standpoint let's put it that way um, yeah. I, I I have said to the club uh, I, what annoyed me. I was uh, oh years ago. We were at the Amex watching football. Part of Rainbow Laces when it first came in. You know the Rainbow Laces uh, campaign start. You know started when we were back in the championship, or we were in the championship then. And I can remember our glorious captain Bruno came up on the big screen and went, I support rainbow laces for equality and diversity. Then it went to some other player and I can't remember who it was. And it was the same. It was just one tone all the way through. And I just looked at that and I was, I was gutted. I was like, well, that's not doing anything. And again, this is another reason why I wanted to, to form proud seagulls. Um, was to try and not so much get the LGBT community or, or the LGBT flag and stuff on the agenda or, or, or in the forefront. It was more of saying to, to, to fans, well, up and down the country, country, but more to say to Brighton fans, you know, there are LGBT people within our community, you know, within, within our football community, you know, have some respect. Um, I think, Last year, like I said, last year, uh, Brighton pulled out all the stops. Uh, I mean, there was, uh, I know there was a piece in the, um, in the program, uh, but you know, the flags pitch side, the, the rainbow colored cards that the East stand were given, uh, the, the center spot, you know, rainbow with the, the motif in the center. That to me was almost like the icing on the cake. That to me, and and everybody was giving us the you know huge support. It, it was, um, I felt quite honoured one to walk on the on the on the pitch, but also to be representing my community in a Premier League game or, or in a Premier League stadium. You know, saying to everybody else, "Yeah, I'm gay. So what? You know, I I watch football." You know, um, I watch football. I don't watch the men. I watch the football. You know, there's a, and I think that's, again, that's what other people, you know, other, other men probably think, oh yeah, you only go to football so you can ogle the men. Well, I don't actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. You know, but, but I don't, I go to football to, to, I go to football to watch the game. I, when I going back to when I first actually started paying to go to the ground, I looked at it as value for money. I was, you know, paying what? Well, uh, I can't remember what we were paying then—twenty, thirty quid, whatever, whatever the price was. 
uh, well, no, it may have been more actually, but you know, I was looking at that as value for money. And I was, I was being entertained for that 90 minutes. I got my money's worth. Um, so, um, yeah, so I don't think it, it, it has in a way taken off. I, I, I did say to the club when we were, uh, when we were organizing stuff for the first pride event that they were, um, being in and i said look most people just want freebies that's what they they go around they just go around looking for freebies so so that was organized um as well as question cards uh basically asking about you know are you a fan if you're not why not uh, you know do you identify as lgbt uh, um you know if you don't go to football why don't you go is it because you don't like it or is it because of the you know the bad press or the the bad feelings you have um you know so it was great for the club because it gave them a snapshot an insight into the wider lgbt community um at an event so so that was really really good but i kept saying to them don't keep this stuff just for pride put it in the shop sell it all year you know because the kids will buy it they love it they, you know they love the merchandise yeah, you know, and they were like, "Really?" I said, "Yeah, just sell it." So, yeah, it's know. it's funny because it's not it's not the same thing, but it's you know it's it's having these people come into football. And I there was a couple of years ago. My wife is not particularly a football fan. Uh, she's <laughs> she's an American. She's not really into it. She just knows that it's on when I start shouting. Um, but she uh, she really liked the pink and white shirts that they would do every yeah. year. Yeah, and they stopped doing those for whatever reason. And it's weird because you just think like they must be getting bought because I feel like I used to see loads of them in the stands for yeah, girls. Yeah. And and it's the same way here. Like honestly, like I I'm not a gay man. I I'm not a part of the community. But I would be sorely tempted to buy one of those rainbow numbered because I think they look well, really cool. <laughs> like uh, well, actually, that funny funny you should say that. That was a conversation I had had with the club a couple of seasons ago. Um, now was it it was it was leading up to the first pride event that that they were sponsoring and and i said look i said uh, uh, i you know arsenal i i uh, myself and and my co-chair have been, have been um guests at arsenal uh, for our, when we played our first away game against them uh, in the pre, you know in the start of the premier league um and we had a whale of a time, I must say that. We were well looked after, and um, you know, and, and the Emirates is an absolute superb stadium. But anyhow, I um, but they had in their club shop shirts with the rainbow numbers and rainbow letters. Um, and they, you know, for pride, uh, yeah, for pride, they would do a shirt and put it on, you know, on display out, you know, in the club window, in the shop window. And I said to her, to Brighton, you know, we need that. We need that because you'll get loads kids as well. Everybody, you know, they will want that those numbers and letters, and you know, and we could do it with the squad. Now, unfortunately, the squad we can't because that's governed by the FA or, or and the Premier League, and there's also you know you've got to tick boxes for that. But the club did do it for the first year I don't know where they got the numbers and the letters from but um but they'd actually had to send the shirt away to get it done to for it to come back in time and it was worn uh at the pride event but 
since then I've been trying to say let's get get it in there all the time you know because i want to do one with proud seagulls on it you know i want that <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah that's what i've been waiting on really to be honest with you um uh, you know and, and perhaps do well there's a sh- i've got one of the shirts i've got my my godson nicknamed me queenie oh ages ago um because i didn't know what to put on the back of a shirt you know i was i didn't want to do my surname i didn't really, i don't have a favorite player because i actually i have a favorite team if you like and that's yeah. you know there's a lot um, of people that way i think yeah so, that's definitely so um yeah we were sat there one day talking about it and he just looked at me and he went well queenie and i went oh right okay then <laughs> <laughs> so i'd like that in rainbow colors you know it, it's uh, and uh, having said that the first time i ever wore that shirt with queenie on the back I was so self-conscious of what was written on my back. I was panicked. I was really, really, yeah, I, I yeah, didn't like it. Um, and I can remember going into West Street. Uh, my godson's father works for the ambulance service. One of his mates um was a uh, or is a not was a is a Leeds fan. We were playing Leeds at home. Leeds were told to go down to Weatherspoons at the bottom of West Street, and we went along to meet him and uh, you know to meet uh, uh, this chap and, and and his friends. And I was really really hot there, so I went and took me my uh, coat off, and I, I totally forgot that I had the shirt with Queenie on the back. And I went down to the loos, came back. And when I came back, all of a sudden from the lower bar, I heard this Queenie, Queenie, give us a song. Queenie, Queenie, give us a song. And I was like, oh, God, no, I shouldn't have worn it. But it, it just made it. I mean, we made it was a laugh and it was a joke. And, um, you know, it was all taken in, in good spirits. You know, there was no um, uh, there was no badness from it, shall we say, you know. Yeah. Um, which I think, again, it, I'd like to think it, it is a minority that do spoil it for the majority, but but it, it will always be a minority. Um, and I know I'm, I'm just briefly going through your your uh, questions or notes, and I'm um, uh, um, and just going on about you know that that you know. Giroud had said that, you know, like you said, there was a lot of testosterone and teasing and collective showering. Well, <laughs> hate to say that, but we had that in the army as well. We, you know, you had that in the RAF, you had it in the, in the, in the Navy. So. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. It's funny. It yeah. Cause that was going to be my next thing. Exactly. It, so. It, 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 it's not, it's not that it's the fact of how your teammates are going to react also how the club are going to react and how the your fans the fan base are going to react um you've already but, given somewhat of an answer to that i question, have but yeah you, but you so quite sadly you you don't foresee a time in the next couple of years or even in your I, lifetime where you where you finally get your first kind of out gay football player in well the, in I, th- the I think I, yeah i was going to say i think i think what you need to do is is put it as a prof- you know out gay professional footballer yeah because uh, um you know like i said there are some that they've retired and yes. um <clears throat> excuse me but i don't no, i don't think so i, I you know um and I'll, I'll be honest with you um 
you know, we we spoke. I've spoken about this before about you know, well, what happens if if it was a Brighton player? And that to me, although it would be absolutely superb, and I know that all of us, fan wise and the club, would be hugely supportive. Wouldn't give a damn about it. I'd be more concerned about away fans or when we go away because we would be open to a huge amount of abuse. I know that it would take off. And so would the player as well. Uh, and that that um, that weighs on my mind, you know, that plays on my mind a hell of a lot. That if it's a, 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 you know, if a Brighton player came out, brilliant, superb, excellent, because I know the club would give the full support, knowing what the club are like, and we, and it is a community club, a community stadium, community club. Uh, but the support would be there. It wouldn't be my, our fans, our club. It would be other fans and other clubs. I would be, and also other players, uh, and not 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 from from our club because I think they are they're a good family. They're a good good. You only had to see it when we got promoted to the Premier League. Uh, you know that 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 there's a jail. They they you know they they jailed together. They you know, um, but I think from other players from the you know the opposition, if you like, um, it might be oh let's go in on a hard tackle. You know, harder than what would normally be. You know, try and get them off the pitch or get them out of the game completely or something. You know, there there would be something. Um, you know, we 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 see it on the pitch certainly in in the in this last year of players being uh, you know uh, racially abused if you or, or abused by you know their opposition you know a player from their other team you know they've had a coming together yeah um so you, yeah I, just out of interest do you yeah. think that there would be uh, or do you think that it would be prudent to uh, almost come out as a group at some point maybe you know a collection of three or four uh, gay professional footballers to yeah I mean that, that or do you that, still think that's well yes I I I must admit I I thought actually that would be really really good because they they could be their own uh, as as everybody else is using it support bubble um, yeah yeah uh, um, but they could uh, but I I mean if they were from four different clubs. Uh, Again, uh, I, I mean, you know, I'd almost say what would make me laugh if it, if it would be the likes of um, these hardline fans like uh, Millwall, Crystal Palace. Uh, I'm going to, you know, bring up Crystal Palace. Now, I know the chair of their LGBT fan group, um, Nona, really, from, from, well, when we first got promoted in the Premier League. Um, lovely lady, absolutely superb. Um, and we always have a laugh and a joke because we can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think if if Crystal Palace had a gay player, if if one of their players came out, um, I think there would be a. I, I don't think they would stay at Crystal Palace. I think that the the fans themselves would. Yeah, they would be. Um, feel as though they're not welcome yeah that's my you know, no prove me wrong but but you know that was but i mean we saw was it last year there was a supposedly uh 
professional footballer about to come out. He'd taken to social media and was, oh, I'm a professional footballer. You know, didn't didn't say who he was and just kept every couple of days kept putting a snippet in. And um, and I was asked uh, actually by the, by the group actually by Prowse, you know, the members of Prowse Eagles, what did I think? And I went, it's fake. It's. I said this would have come from something like. I said it's come from something like Paddy Power or Ladbrook, or, you know, or or even I can't mention the name, but a a a, a, a tabloid newspaper that, that represent that big orange thing that's in the sky. Um, yeah. Uh, you know that I said there's somebody's created this to generate a bit of interest so that people. And, you know, you had loads of celebrities going, oh, yeah, great. And loads of football pundits. Yeah, great. You know, retweeting it all, loads of support. And I sat there thinking, this is fake. This is not real. It it smells a rat. When you read it, as a gay person reading it, I smell a rat. And, of course, when it came for him to come out, no, he wasn't coming out because, oh, no, everybody had been rather abusive and, and, you know, he was too scared. And it was like, well you don't take the social media to come out. Um, you know, you, uh, you know, there was this thing of, Oh, I've been to the club and I've spoken to the club and I've spoken to the, and it's like, have you? Because actually, if anything, you'd met, you know, and it was the fact that he hadn't told his family. And I was like, they're the first people you, you need to tell that the family's first, then the club and the, staff and the players then you go public yeah, yeah that's um but yeah i just smelled a rat and i just thought no this is a publicity stunt from from somebody um and because again I, I i genuinely i would not have thought a professional footballer would take to social media knowing how social media behaves um you know, that to me would almost be a meltdown, if you like, of that person's social media. They're, 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 and mentally for them as well, because yeah. they would, people would. We, we've seen it as in the LGBT community uh, uh, and certainly within football, we've seen an increase in abuse via social media. And I'm going to say we've also seen an increase in abuse by, uh, of social media, uh, uh, abuse by social media, for those under 18 in fact some are under 16 because they think they can get away with it um so yeah i i getting back to it i i personally don't think uh, you know if if four players came out yeah i think things certainly if they were all from different clubs yes or if there was a couple i.e you know uh i know a play well I'm just going to hypothetically say, and I know there's going to be a load of fans in Brighton now going to rip my head off, but we'll say say that a partnership between a player from Brighton and a player from Crystal Palace, you know, they're having a relationship, you know, they both come out together at the same time because they, they can't hide it anymore. They, 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 you know, they, um, well, I say they can't hide it. They feel it's the right time. That to me, I mean, that would be, well, superb. But <laughs> I think that, again, would be better because they can give each other moral support. Yes. Um, uh, and I think that's uh, the issue. I, you know, going back to Justin, Justin, I think 
I think in hindsight, people, you know, we, we can all look at it in hindsight. And I think in hindsight, everybody's looked at it, including himself, probably thinking I should never have done that. That ruined my career completely. Uh, you know, it, it, it ruined everything. But for him to do that took immense courage and balls, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and nobody since then, nobody has had the courage or the balls to stand up and say, yeah, I am as well. They've, like I've said earlier on, they've either retired, um, you know, or they've moved abroad, um, you know, and, and they're not in the game. You know, they're not really in the game so much anymore. Um, and until, like I will always say, until, till Till things are better, I think, until till players or a player feels that he's not going to be another Justin Fashionu, then I think, then I think, and only then I think we will we may we may have an openly gay professional footballer. I think that was very well said. I think it's yeah, I think yeah. Fair play. Um yeah. So kind of just to, to wrap, just a couple of questions extra. Yeah. Um, anybody who was unaware of the group before now, because you never know, there may well be people out there that didn't know this thing was was even there. Yeah. Uh, how how can they join up? How would you like them to contact you? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, if there are allies out there that want to help push forward the Absolutely. progress wheel, how, yeah. how can they, you know, join or help out? Or what would you like yeah. to see from those people? Um, well, most of us, are, well, most of it is on social media. Now, Facebook, as I said, I've got a secret group and uh, we've got two groups. One's closed and one's secret. Um, but we are on Twitter and Instagram. And I was in the process just before I came on air with you. I was also in the process of I'm trying to set up a website as well. So um, and thanks, because it meant I went onto your website and went, oh, I'll use that. Yes, I use WordPress. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, WordPress is very nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so on Instagram and Twitter, it's at Proud Seagulls uh, or one. Um in, on Facebook, um, if you uh, know certain people that, you know, if you know somebody that's in the group, then fine. Um, it, it's the reason why I've done it as a closed and a secret group was to protect some people's identity. So if those, if people want to join the Facebook group, the best bet is probably email me at Proud Seagulls at gmail.com so proud seagulls at gmail.com um in fact if anybody wants to contact me at all that's the best thing proud seagulls at gmail.com um and i'll be happy uh you know our, our, our numbers grew um i think we're up to about just over 60 i think we're up to now uh, it doesn't sound a lot but um Arsenal, for instance, uh, gay gooners have been going for, um, yeah, I think over 10 years now, and they've got over 700 members. Now, that doesn't mean to say that there's 700 LGBTQ, but they're LGBTQ and allies. Yep. So, um, I, I, but that's taken them a long time to get that base up and running uh, as well, you know, to get that, that those numbers. Yeah. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I, I, 
I'm encouraged by the fact that yes, okay, it's a very low number, but actually, it doesn't worry me. It doesn't. Uh, I'm not, you know, freaked out thinking, oh my god, we should have we should have loads because um, it's personal choice, really. It's personal preferences, personal choices, um, and like I said, there are people out there that who aren't out to their football friends, shall we say? Yep. Um, uh, you know, they they may be in their in their private life, but they're not in their uh, uh, football life. So, um, but yes, that's the easiest ways. Wonderful. Um, and I know we're recording this before the Southampton game, so this may <laughs> age this may age terribly. But uh, oh, what do you what I do you know. think for the game? Uh, are you, know, you confident or not? <laughs> I am. No, I'll be honest with you. I I, I love Chris Hewton. I think he's an absolutely superb manager for getting championship clubs into the Premier League. I think thereafter he's out of his depth, but he's been a, he was a brilliant manager for us. I thought he was absolutely superb um, because he got Brighton where we wanted to be. He got the club exactly where we wanted to be in this lovely situation of a Premier League. Um, when Graham came along, I must admit, myself and my godson were sitting there and we're like, oh, I don't know, oh, really not too sure. But we are playing much, much better football. Um, you only have to look. Uh, um, oh, it was some time ago. Uh, I can't remember who somebody was sent off. I can't remember who it was. It wasn't um, Lamptey. It was before that. But anyway, whoever it was that was sent off. Um, Normally, if you looked at uh, uh, Chris Hewton, he would have brought on another defender to strengthen the the, the, the defence. Yep. Whereas Graham didn't. He totally ignored that and just carried on with his own game plan and carried on with his own substitution as though, though it was normal. That, to me, spoke volumes. I suddenly thought, ah, right, this is definitely... It got my attention then because I thought, oh, oh, we're not going on the defensive. Oh, right, we're carrying on as normal. And that's how it's been. And, and if you look at, you know, last week at Liverpool, you know, with Liverpool, all right, perhaps Liverpool were having an off day. Well, yeah. Um, I don't I don't know, and I don't really care, because to be honest with you, we could have won that. Um, I'm not going to blame anybody, but I don't... The end of the day, to get a draw with Liverpool at home, I'm I'm more than happy with, with you know, with that point, that that... I'd rather get one point. We should have had three, but I'd rather have the one point. Um, yeah, I think, you know, before the game you know, started, I don't think anybody expected us to get one, let alone no, three. So I know. I, 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 yeah. You know, to be honest, there are some games you write off, and that was one of them. I'd yep. written off thinking, well, we never will. Tomorrow, I, I tomorrow night, I, I oh, the worst of it is I've got a meeting before it. I've got a Zoom meeting before the game itself, and I'm like... I don't know whether I'm going to <laughs> whether I'm going to be concentrating on the Zoom meeting or not, but we play well. I, I if we came away with a draw, lovely, great. I'd love us to win. Um, I think the way we're playing at the moment, I, it could be a draw. It could be one all, but there again, we've always had late goals as well. So it you know it could go two one. So. But I'd say, yeah, draw for definite. Perhaps. Brilliant. 
I, I would I would be happy with the draw as well. Southampton yeah. are a good team on their day, and yeah. they've got Ings and Ward-Prowse fit. They're they're going to yeah. cause anyone problems. So oh god, yeah, yeah, and we're still without Lamptey as well. So uh, you know that's that's uh, you know added to the. I think it, I think tomorrow night's his last game that he's 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 out for, and then then he's back. But no, I um, think he's back tonight. Oh, is he tomorrow? Back? Oh, is yeah, he, he oh, is. Okay. Uh, I think it's Lalana is now hurt, so it will be missing. Ah, right, yeah, who has yeah. been great as well. But yeah, oh, I think yeah. I think Tariq's back tomorrow. And and you know we got Welbeck now. Is uh, uh, you know in the um, in the transfers, I think we've done really really well. I. I you know, I know there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of fans would, would you know, say otherwise, but I would, I, I think we've done better uh, uh, and, and we're certainly playing a better style of football as well, which is more easier to watch. Yep. Does that sound, do, do, you know, um, yeah, yeah. So. Wonderful. Awesome. Thank you again, Stuart, for coming no, on. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. Um, this episode will be out Tuesday morning. Um, so about midday your time. Um, okay. so I will tag your, your at proud seagulls Twitter account. Yep. Um, and yeah, and perfect. Lovely. Thanks so much for coming on. And are you going to update the uh, score as well on that uh, <laughs> before you put the podcast out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might be. Ooh, embarrassingly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing a. I'll be doing a game review tomorrow night. So hopefully, we can. Uh, okay. I can also top it off with a nice result. But if yeah, not, yeah. Uh, either way, it's been wonderful to have you on. So thanks again, Lovely. Stuart. And no, thank you. Josh. Enjoy thanks your so Sunday much. roast. Uh, yeah, and, we'll and do. have a good rest of your night. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah. What time is it with you? So you're just after one, quarter past yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. It's okay. only quarter past one. Oh, well, enjoy your lunch then. Yeah, so. rest of the day ahead of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks so much, mate. Bye. Bye. All right. We are back. So welcome back. Uh, We are recording this on Monday night, 5.54 p.m. in uh, Eastern Standard Time. So uh, add on five and we're nearly at, what, 11 o'clock? Six? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah, eleven p.m. British time. Uh, fans are making their way back out of the Amex after the first uh, game back in the, in quite some time, almost nine months. Not the result we wanted. Um, not the result I thought we deserved, uh, but a result we were given either way. Uh, once again, VAR was at the forefront, um, as we just discussed with Stuart. Actually, uh, you know, VAR is. One of those things uh, that will continue to polarise and divide opinion. Um, But I think today's conversation that inevitably will come up about VAR is going to be much more uh, kind of everybody nodding their heads in agreement, I believe, um, once we get there. So this week, uh, because we are playing on a Monday night, uh, there is no special guest uh, reviewer with me. Uh, Reason being is it's just next to impossible to be able to, you know, have somebody come on this late uh, and get, you know, a decent review in. So... Just me solo, uh, as I have been for, you know, the first 75 episodes. So today we were coming in off the back of uh, some good results, actually. Um, you know, we'd, we'd had some good results of late. Uh, we'd had a, a kind of an OK season, like for like. Um, you know, we were, if you look back at the first, you know, 10 to 12 games last season, we were behind the points total. Um, but if you look back at the, the same games last year, we were ahead. So... 
you know, depending on how you want to look at it, we're either doing better or worse. Um, you know my perspective. I prefer to think of the better uh, simply because, you know, it's, it depends on who you're playing and, and it's easier to kind of compare like for like than it is, you know, first 12 games. Um, but here we are. Uh, you know, we'd just come off the back of um, a win uh, away at Villa for the first time in forever. Uh, a draw at home to Burnley that we probably should have won. Um, and then a draw at home to Liverpool, uh, which was obviously the icing on the cake. Uh, and we were we were coming up with a bit of form. Um, Potter was putting out tactics that were obviously working. Uh, it was causing real big problems for Liverpool last week. Uh, and it looked like almost a little bit like Potter had decided that uh, the team had done enough to earn themselves a full start this week. Uh, the only difference was Ben White came into the midfield um, and Neil Mopai was not starting, um, primarily because of the injury, you would assume. Uh, he wasn't wanting to risk him. Now, first thing that I want to talk about is Ben White in the midfield. Um, I think about this conversation twice now on two different shows with two different guests, and we've all concluded that we do not like Ben White in the midfield. Um, and today is proven to me that I feel no different compared to the last couple of weeks. Uh, I do not like Ben White in that midfield role. Um, I do not see any reason to keep him in there. And I do not know why Steven Alzate is not getting appearances um, in that role when I think he could do a much, much better job of it. Um, you know, when you have a bench uh, and, and Alzate is on it, um, it, it blows my mind that he's not playing over Ben White in that midfield. Um, it's not going to work. It doesn't look great. Um, he doesn't provide a great deal going forward. And I think he's half the player in that central defensive midfield role um, as he is, you know, in that back three. I think he's a lot better in that back three. And as you see him play games in that back three, I feel like you've been seeing him grow and get better every time. So why on earth we, we, we put him in that midfield? I don't get it. Um, I don't know whether Potter's trying to be cute and kind of be like, oh, yeah, like they started to train him as a central defensive midfielder at Leeds. Like we can do it, too, but we can't. Um, I even remember that, you know, when we were uh, when we were watching him play that role uh, at the end of the year, we we weren't even, you know, delighted with it. You know, Leeds fans were not happy with that role. They said he they thought he looked a little too shaky, a little too ineffective in that role, even under, you know, their god Bielsa. So why we're continuing to do it too is is kind of baffling to me. Um, but we persisted, we decided to give him a try. Um, and, and, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. The game's gone. And, and But to me, I think we really need to just not do it. Like, we need to stop. Um, it's just not beneficial for anybody uh, at this phase or like stage in the game. Uh, I, I think that he is much better suited to the centre-half role. And we need to just stop it um, at this point when we have such talented midfielders like Alzate sat on the bench for no reason. We did persist with the three at the back. Still a fan of that. Lamptey on the right, back after the ban. March on the left, back, as always. Uh, left wing back, 
pretty solid over there. Basuma in the midfield. Uh, Pascal Gross took up the Neil Mopai role uh, of kind of sitting just behind the two strikers, Welbeck and Connolly. Uh, and we basically attempted to do the exact same thing to Southampton as we did to Liverpool. Catch them on the counter-attack, cut in behind and, and take our chances. Um, we actually did a great job at it too. Um, I thought we, we did a good job of cutting in behind. Uh, I think we did a good job of creating chances. I think we did a good job of, of exposing them, especially on the counter-attack. Uh, but unfortunately, it's it's another week of saying the same thing. We were not able to execute on our chances. We created them. Uh, we were, once again, as per usual, unable to execute on those chances that we created. Um it is frustrating. It is tough to watch at times, uh, simply because you you know that you should be scoring more goals than you are, and it's just mind-boggling that you're not. Um, in terms of the game itself, you know, flashpoints and, and conversation starters. Uh, the first half an hour, I thought that Brighton and Albion were superb. We were all over them. Um, we had two opportunities within the first four or five minutes where we should have scored. Um, we had a free kick uh, that Pascal Gross whipped in beautifully that Dunk put over the bar. Um, again, that's three chances that we've just brought up before the penalty um, that, you know, a better side scores one, if not more, of them um, and has and kind of knocked the stuffing out of a team in 26 minutes and they're 3-0 up. This Brighton team aren't able to do that. Uh, the penalty itself, I have to admit, in real time, I had no idea what had happened. Um, it didn't look like a handball to me. It didn't look like anything. It didn't look like it was uh, a clear and obvious problem or anything like that. Um, the ref gave it. I, oh, excuse me, it's been a long day. Uh, I looked it up, you know, in terms of the replay. When the replays got up, I looked up and, and paid attention and, and it you know, it was pretty clearly a handball. His, his head, his hand is way above his head for no reason. Um, and it was a handball. So good penalty. Uh, Pascal Gross steps up, felt very confident, actually. Um, slots it away. Well, doesn't slot it, hammers it away. Uh, easy peasy, 1-0. Very good value for the lead. Um, rest of the half was pretty scrappy, pretty combative. Uh, you know, I don't think there was much in it. I don't think either team, you know, were particularly on top uh, I thought that it was it just kind of devolved into this you know just ugly football um, we weren't doing a great deal at either end uh, you know we'd, we'd kind of allowed Southampton all of the possession at this point um, but they weren't particularly you know causing a lot of problems for us uh, even with a lot of the ball um, we were dispossessing them pretty comfortably uh, you know we were taking the ball off of them in midfield and we were limiting them to you know only a couple of shots uh, they had four shots in that kind of time between the goal and, and uh, half time and only one of those was on target of course that was the goal um, you know I didn't think that we were in a in a phase where we were having any major problems um, and we also had a free kick uh, which we should have scored again, but Webster put over. Uh, so, you know, we could have easily been 2 or 3 nothing up at half-time. Um, last week, uh, I mentioned um, that James Ward-Prowse, probably one of the best set-piece takers in the world right now. Um, I will say that as a bold statement. I truly believe he is one of the best set-piece takers on the planet right now. Um, and we... 
you know, if you're going to fix things and you're going to, you know, deal with things, the first thing tactically you've got to look at is not giving up set pieces in dangerous areas. You can't always, you know, never give away a corner, but you can do two things. You can do everything in your power to not give them away, which we did. Uh, we only uh, gave away three corners this this week. You know, that's not a lot. Uh, not a lot at all. Um, and yet we continued to give away stupid free kick positions. There was three that we gave away in dangerous areas. Um, and and that, you know, those, those tackles are the ones that end up causing more problems than corners usually. However, not to be. Uh, James Ward-Prowse whipped it in right on halftime, and you almost knew it from the minute he hit the ball, or rather just the minute they got a corner on the 45th minute uh, that this was going to go in. Sure enough, uh, Ward-Prowse whips the ball in. Uh, Vestergaard was given a total easy run, leaving Dunk for dead. Um, Zonal marking is just the bane of my existence, and uh, Vestergaard hammered it into the back of the net. Goal, 1-1. And that was that for the first half. Danny Ings comes on at halftime. Uh, Southampton look a much, much better team with him on the field, unsurprisingly. Uh, you know, they went ahead and kind of played a lot better football going forward. Um, and the Albion, after about an hour, uh, decided that they'd seen enough and, and Connolly was to come off and Mopai was to come on and they were going to try and hold the ball a little bit better up front. Uh, after that, you know, it was pretty back and forth. Um, I thought that we had really gone off the boil a little bit. Uh, it was, you know, I think Hassan Hootl had, had kind of worked out what we were doing. Um, and we were not... Our plan B uh, of, of, you know, bringing on Trossard, bringing on uh, Yahambach, bringing on Mopai um, wasn't particularly uh, working against this team. Um, we weren't very capable of playing through them. Uh, we were doing a good job of playing in behind them, but playing through them was not something we were having a great deal of success with. Uh, and and we went ahead and conceded a penalty. Um, it wasn't a penalty, in my opinion. It was the, the foul was outside of the box. They fell into the box. Um, but once again, VAR has has stepped in um, and, and taken a decision that has changed the entire format of the game it's it's changed the result it's changed the everything um and once again uh we are left wondering what exactly is a clear and obvious error um it was almost three minutes today that var took to work out whether that was a foul inside the box the referee had decided it was a free kick and that it wasn't um to me you cannot do two you can't have both you cannot spend three minutes watching nine to twelve different replays in slow-mo and angles and all that sort of bullshit and decide that it's a clear and obvious error and it needs to be overturned and given us a penalty you can't do both you either look at it nine to eleven times make a decision that you think it's a penalty but go it obviously wasn't clear and obvious it took us nine attempts and leave it as is or you look at it and within one to two replays you go this is pretty clear that it's a pen refs messed it up he needs to he needs to change that at the very least you ask the referee to go and look at it at the monitor how do you spend 12 different attempts looking at the screen unsure because there's no way you can say you're sure after taking that many looks it's a judgment call 
and you've decided to you decided that you believe it so much that you're able to override a ref. We'll let the ref look at it himself then. We did it last week. We did it the week before. Did it the week before that. Where's the consistency? Because if that referee went ahead and took a look at the monitor and turned around and said, yep, that's a pen, I, I still don't agree with him, but I can take it a little bit more. It's a little easier to stomach because they've actually gone and looked at it themselves. How on earth was this not enough of a judgment call for the referee to go and take a look at it is beyond me. And sure as shit, Danny Ng steps up, scores the goal, game over. Um, and, and we lost. And... To me, the most frustrating things out of today are VAR once again stepping in and making a decision that, that totally impacts the result of a game. Um, this is happening week after week, game after game, not just for us, but for everybody. And if it was used consistently and it was used reliably, you wouldn't be having this conversation right now, would you? Right? You would be going, it's either, yes, it was shit, but they got that they're consistent or yes it was good because it's consistent and that's it like if it's always going to be consistent and they have measurables and they you know they can turn around and say after x amount of replays or x amount of time you know it's either is or isn't an error or whatever like then fine but there's no measurement to it you can spend three minutes searching for a clear and obvious error and decide after three minutes that it's clear and obvious it's not it's factually not a clear and obvious error if you're spending three minutes looking at it. Like, that's just not possible. Um, and, and you know, and the second thing that, that really pissed me off today is is the defending. Set-piece defending is, is, just, is just so bad. It makes me want to squeeze my mouse until it pops open because it makes me so annoyed that we are continuing to persist with this utter nonsense zonal marking bullshit we cannot mark zonally zonal marking is crap you need to be like the most elite of the elite to be able to do a good zonal marking you have to have if you want a zonal mark at any level you have to have a mix of both you have to have a mix of man marking and zonal marking and the albion this year i have not seen them do any man marking Every time, time and time again, we are left leaving people wide open. How does it? How do you allow Vestergaard, Yannick Vestergaard, to take a run-up to go over the top of Lewis Dunk? If Lewis Dunk was man-marking him, that goal doesn't go in. He doesn't get to that header because he's having to go past Lewis Dunk, not into Lewis Dunk, like it happened today. Arsene Wenger, at his peak with Arsenal back in the Invincible days... The one thing that the experts and the pundits and everybody said that you could remember, that I remember hearing, was Wenger's great, the team are unbelievable, but my God, I wish he would stop zonal marking. It makes us concede such stupid goals. I have fans that support Leicester, some friends that support Leicester. They said the same thing. Everything is great. If only we stop defending zonally because we're not good enough at it. Why are we persisting with it is utterly beyond me. Um, and this is every week, I feel like, we're talking about, right? Like, we're, we're talking about this every single week, that our set pieces are utterly atrocious. Like, what is going on? What is going on? 
I don't get it. I, do, I truly do not understand how we have not progressed in this, you know, this entire season and a half under Potter defending set pieces. It just blows my mind. Attacking set pieces, uh, we showed a lot of progress today. We obviously trained on the training ground constantly for the scenarios that we created today. And it was on Webster and Dunk on uh, missing them, right? Like you can't make them score. Uh, which is what I've been saying for a while with the with the Potter criticism. Um, you cannot make a player score. You can train them to score. You can work with them to score. You can do everything you possibly think of to help them be ready to score a goal at a vital moment, but you can't make them do it. And we are creating chances by the hat load, and our players, when presented with those chances, are not finishing them to an adequate degree. And Lewis Duncan and Adam Webster had that happen today two two times from set pieces. Um, Pascal Gross, again, uh, I thought was excellent today. Um, his set piece delivery was superb. Uh, he led the team on shots. Um, he led the team on key passes. Uh, he had, you know, a great deal of the ball in that middle of the park. Um, I thought that he did a good job. Uh, I think that, you know, he's one of those players that is... Coming back to the forefront of the team uh, and showing that he is still important um, in terms of, you know, pushing forward. Uh, I thought Bissouma was once again very good today. Uh, he, again, also had a lot of touches of the ball. Um, he had five successful total tackles. That was more than any player in the team. Um, you know, he intercepted players. Uh, he also had uh, third most clearances uh, behind Lewis Dunk and Joel Veltman. Uh, you know, I think that Bissouma was once again a great player, um, but he just isn't the same next to Ben White. He he is a better player if you put him with Adam Lalana, if you put him with Alzate. Uh, ben White for me today is that one big you know criticism that I could put forward. I thought he was totally ineffective in the role he played. Um, you know, if you want to be this kind of like passing mogul, uh, you need to have a better pass accuracy success rate than 65%. Um, if you're going to do that role, uh, you have to do a better job defensively. No, to no tackles. Zero successful tackles yet today. One successful interception, two clearances, one foul. Very average. Offensively, again, Ben White didn't really do anything. Zero shots, zero key passes. One successful dribble, one a foul. Totally ineffectual. He is not a midfielder. I can categorically guarantee that Steven Alzate has a better game than that. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. I think that Matt Ryan is hard done by. Once again, we are kind of crucifying Matt Ryan. Uh, that penalty was superb. I, I don't expect any keeper to save that pen. Um, and, you know, from a, from a set piece like that, you know, I don't expect a huge amount of goalkeepers to be able to make that save either. Um, it's kind of as easy as it gets for a player to slot away. Now, we have a couple of games coming up that are vital. Um, I think that if you would have been told three weeks ago before the Villa game, you can take four points from Villa away, Liverpool at home and Southampton at home, given the run that both Villa and Southampton have been on as well. I think you would have took four points, to be honest. 
to get a win against Villa, a draw against Liverpool, and then a tough defeat against Southampton that was especially so, you know, influenced by, by bullshit VAR calls. I think you would take it every day of the week, wouldn't you? Why would you not want that? Um, to me, I think that, you know, I think you'd probably reorder it. You'd probably expect us to lose to Liverpool. You'd probably expect a draw away at Villa Park and then a, a win at home to Southampton. But that's still giving you the same amount of points either way. Um, but these coming weeks uh, between now and the new year are are vital for, for Brighton. Um, we are now away at Leicester next, um, away at Fulham three days later, and then at home to Sheffield United after that. Those three games before Christmas are massive. Uh, we need to get some results and we need to start getting them quickly. Uh, we are playing well enough to get them. Uh, we are doing enough to get them in terms of chance creation, in chance of defending, uh, barring set pieces, obviously, because we're a joke, um, which I'm sure Madison is going to have an absolute field day on uh, in the coming weeks. And something has got to give. We have to, I think it's time to change the 11 up. Uh, this next week, I would love to see Alzate come back into the team desperately. Uh, I would like to see, uh, you know, Lalana come back if he's fit and ready to go. I would love to see Trossard back in. I would love to see Alexis McAllister get given a chance if that's the case. Um, I think that we are... The decision to stick with the same 11 wasn't the right one by Potter. Um, we have only had, you know, one win at home now all year. And the, the Potter out brigade uh, is is starting to pick up steam again because we, we lost one game. Um, and, you know, I, I can understand their frustrations from a from a one win at home all, see, all, all year perspective. Um, it's a little bit disingenuous, though, because we, we also didn't play a single game of football for half a year almost because of the coronavirus. But that doesn't stop an agenda and it's going to continue anyway. Um but I understand it to an extent. We've not been good enough at home at all. Um, compared to last year, you know, after 11 games, we had 15 points. Uh, we are obviously on t five less than that right now. Um, but, you know, on, on to play devil's advocate and to play the more kind of positive role, if we would have played these 12 or 11 games um, in a row last season, we would have more points this year than last year. So, you know, if this if this had been our opening run last year, we would have had six points. This year we've got ten. So we are showing progress. Um, but it's a case of going out and, and continuing to get results. Now, the problem is, is that, you know, like for like, we didn't do very well, <laughs> um, you know, at, against Leicester and Sheffield United last year. So there could be some very concerned individuals if we continue to do poorly. Um but for me, you've got to, you've got, I know it isn't going to happen, but, you know, we're less than a month away now from, from the win transfer window. I, we have to go and do something in it, uh, attacking wise, because Danny Welbeck is not in the same caliber as a player like Darwin Nunez, uh, that we, that we narrowly missed out onto Benfica. Um, and, and we need to go after and continue to go after players of that caliber. I like Danny Welbeck. I think he's actually done a pretty good job since he's been with us. Uh, but I think that Darwin Nunez probably would have, would have won us two more games this year. I think that West Bromwich Albion game and Burnley game, that's an extra four points won, I think, if Darwin Nunez is playing. 
And if that's the case, you know, we're, we're mid-table and we're even more comfortable. As of right now, we're not that comfortable because teams around us ended up starting getting results this week. So Leicester up next on Sunday. Uh, then a busy old Christmas period comes into play. Uh, so we'll be doing plenty of pods. Um, had a good list of people want to come on and, and chat, so I will be in touch if I haven't been already. Um, I have. I know I have. So if you've not responded to my direct message, respond to me because I've messaged you. So that's it from me. Uh, I will see you all next week for some Leicester recap, uh, and we will talk then. Um, but for now, be safe. <laughs>